You're listening to Welcome to Iloma, a podcast for highly ambitious dreamers who get shit done. This is a space where we talk about knowing your audience and saying no to the wrong opportunities. As entrepreneurs, I think we often find ourselves balancing so many things, but especially this need to bring in revenue, as well as this need to know which opportunities might actually end up costing us more than they're worth. If you've been there, raise your hand. Yes, guilty as charged. I think there's two key elements to being able to make clear decisions on on which opportunities will be most beneficial for our business. And I think one, that is knowing exactly who you're talking to, and two, is knowing exactly what you do and don't do. Now, I realize that that is easier said than done. I am quite guilty of not following this advice plenty of times. You know, we, we live and we learn and then we adjust and then we keep making the same mistakes, <laughs> but hopefully not for too long. But today's guest is the absolute queen of both of these things. Susan Beyer is the founder, head honcho, whatever title you want to throw at her of Audience Audit and is sought after, rightly so, by marketing agencies and their clients for her attitudinal segmentation research supporting thought leadership development and marketing initiatives. She has provided original custom attitudinal audience segmentation studies for hundreds of agencies, hundreds of agencies and their clients, including Gap, Kona Grill, Infusionsoft, Tufts University, AT&T, Pello, Windows, Jayco, Bear. you know, the list just goes on and on and on. So, you know, impressive. Yes, absolutely. I had the pleasure of meeting Susan through Agency Management Institute run by our friend Drew McClellan. And I am so grateful to call Susan a friend, a partner and a mentor. Her brilliance is unmatched. Her candor is always welcome. And whether or not she believes that, it is. Uh, and her kindness is so, so true and genuine and may sometimes be laced with bourbon. So that's a-okay in my book. Uh, she's also better at saying, nope, we don't do that than anyone I've ever met. A life lesson I am looking to get better at myself with a very, very, very full heart. I am so thrilled to welcome Susan to the show. Welcome, Susan. Wow. What an intro. That was awesome. Thank you. There you, you. go. There you go. <laughs> If you want, I can uh, send that over to you so you can update your LinkedIn. I'm just going to print that whole thing on a t-shirt <laughs> and just wear it. <laughs> oh my gosh. Thank you so uh, much. I mean, you're oh, brilliant. It's so is, awesome to is, be here. Yeah. Thanks for having me. I'm excited. Yeah. So Susan, let's go ahead and dive into it. You are the queen of audiences as marketers and as business owners and entrepreneurs. We know how important it is to understand people, especially the people that we're trying to market to or sell to or solve problems for, et cetera. So tell us a little bit about audience audit and how your approach is so much different and therefore more impactful in many ways than, than most when it comes to this. Okay. So audience audit, I started 13 years ago in 2009 after I got laid off from my last agency job during the height of the recession. So that's a great time to start your business is right at, during the recession. But I had worked in, you know, big companies on the client side in marketing agencies, and I just finally decided I just was not going to take orders from anybody else again. So off we go to do this. And probably like a lot of your listeners, like when I, when I first did this, I was just like, hey, we can do any of this stuff. 
that I've done <laughs> for the last 30 years in marketing. Like there's all this, this stuff we can do, you know, <laughs> but what eventually happened, and we'll talk about that a little bit, I know, is that we really focused on a particular type of work that we do, which is attitudinal audience segmentation. So it is research that allows you to see the landscape of an audience in a different way. We're used to seeing people broken up into age, income, gender, et cetera. We're used to seeing companies broken up into how many employees, what's your revenue, what's your industry. Yep. And in many, many years of being a marketing strategist, one of the things that became incredibly clear was that that is not very helpful when you are trying <laughs> to figure out how you to You mean this group of 35 to 40-year-old yeah. white men from suburbia is not yeah, all the it's same? it's just not. Like, nobody wants an email that says, hello, woman, 25 to 49. Like, it's just, you still end up as a marketing person, like, sitting around trying to figure out what should we say, what's going to resonate, yeah. what's going to motivate so we believe our research helps with that. And, and I should say, so my sister is a, has a PhD in statistics and she and I built this together. We, we, the approach that we have, we built together and she's the statistical genius on the side of it. And I'm the fast talker from a marketing standpoint, but, <laughs> but anyway, so that's what we do. And now that is all we do, as you know, I mean, we do, we do some content and strategy around that research, but really that's, that's the only thing that we do. And we, as you said, in the introduction, we do it for marketing agencies and for their clients. And we do it to help with client work. And about 70% of our work now, 70 to 80% now is research to help agencies build their own reputations from an expertise standpoint and really show what they know and what they know how to do and what they know how to help clients with. So that's what we do. So original research that's positioning agencies and sometimes their clients potentially as thought leaders in their space. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That's, that's the bulk of what we do right now. There you go. Yeah. There you go. And for anybody out 10 years from now, <laughs> not, not 10 years from now, who knows, who like, knows, you know, who knows? I mean, we might be I, living I think... with aliens at 10 years from now. Who knows? <laughs> yeah. If we're still around. <laughs> yeah. But no, I love that. And that's, you know, obviously something that we've connected a lot on is our shared love for research and the value that it brings, not only just understanding people, but understanding in certain cases like landscapes and marketplaces, competitors, et cetera. But all of it is, is truly trying to understand the, the person that you are trying to connect with. So what would you say are some of the biggest mistakes that people, marketers, business owners, you name it, make when they're trying to really lock in on their audience? Well, the biggest mistake is that many of them don't well played. try to lock well in played. on their audience, right? Like anybody, I mean, all, we've all been at that place where we're like, my client is anyone with a credit card. Like, <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's, and understandably, because it's scary to be out there on your own, setting up your own business and you need yeah. revenue, you got to pay the rent, you got to feed your kids, whatever. So I think it's not inexcusable that it happens, but I think it's too bad when it's it becomes more than just a phase, right? I think that I mean, some businesses end. never do this. They never really think about their audience. A lot of us think about what we can do 
the services we can provide, the products we can sell. And really thinking about the people who buy those things is a distant second. You know, I sort of liken it to if you had, remember malls? Remember when malls were a thing? But, um, <laughs> malls? <laughs> but I yeah, when of, malls were a thing, like I, I remember that, like I'm dating off. myself, right? And you walked remember around? Was, remember when there was brick and mortar retail? But anyway, yeah. um, I sort of liken it to having a store in a mall and just standing outside and being like, hey, I have stuff. See if there's anything you want. <laughs> yeah. Right? You want to uh, buy things? I can sell them to you. Right. I have stuff. And and because it's like a rummage sale. <laughs> well, right. And the onus is completely on the shopper to figure out in yes. that situation whether you have anything that they want or need. You're put you're throwing it all. We're being lazy, right? Yeah. We're like, here's my store. Walk in if you want, take a look around. And we're not making any claims as to our ability to help certain kinds of people or, Hey, you look like somebody who might really value this or benefit from this. We're just being lazy. We're just like, Hey, look around. And that is 98% of the websites out there right now is like, here's my stuff. Yeah. And that's it. And unfortunately, even beyond the website, a lot of marketing is like, here's my stuff. Like how many of us get these emails that are like, Hey, we do this. Do you want it? You know, and so I think that's honestly, that's the biggest problem is that people just aren't thinking about their audience. We're only thinking about ourselves and being lazy. So, well, I was just to say, I mean, that's the biggest. The second biggest is that if people do try to do this, they're relying on approaches that I believe are completely wrong. And it's the stuff we were all taught in business school or marketing classes or some boss told us or whatever. And it's just, not the right way to go about thinking about an audience target. It's just, wrong. it's just, well, what is this wrong way? So people are clear on the wrong way. Well, we were all taught to do it based on those demographic characteristics and that's not helpful. And I believe that the right way to think about an audience is to think about the problems that they are struggling with and the ones that we choose to help with. Then you can talk about how you help. But I think the fundamental thing for defining an audience is who has the problems that I'm really good at solving that I'd like to serve. That's really what it is. And that is a very different way of thinking about audience targets than most anybody does, which is a pity. Because it's honestly, it's not that hard. It's a little wrenching to make that shift at first. Yes. It seems weird, but it's actually a much if once you get people through that, what I see is people go, the light bulb is on. Like all of a sudden I know what to do. I know who I'm selling to. I know what is going to matter to them. I know it's going to resonate. And I know, I know how to help them with what I have right now. And I can think of about 30 other ways we could help them yeah. with stuff that we would love to do. So it's very liberating and it's very revealing and it's very guiding when you get to that place, but it can yeah. be hard to make that shift. Yeah. The visual that comes up for me is like army crawling through mud under barbed wire fences. Like it's, it's hard work to get there. Like, but once you get to the other side, it's like, wow, it's, it's open. Like you got all the answers. And I know you were featured in Pamela Slim's most recent book, The Widest Net. Uh, My good friend, Pam. Yeah. That's an amazing yeah, book. It's an amazing mm-hmm. book. And you, you guys talk a little bit about what, what you just mentioned there. Mm-hmm. And I think 
I mean, it's so for all the business owners and entrepreneurs, especially listening to this, that approach, while it's hard, there's a lot of work up front, a hundred percent, but man, does it pave the business plan for you moving forward? Yeah. It makes it very clear what you should be doing and what you shouldn't. Yeah. It, it makes it so clear. It just, and what you should be saying and what you shouldn't. And whether an initiative is worth spending time and money on or not. Mm-hmm. And where you should be spending your time in community around your business. Yeah. And it just makes a lot of things really clear. But it's hard to do for a couple of reasons. First of all, there's this switch of what we should be thinking about when it comes to audience. And it also demands, as you know, that you narrow down and focus. Mm-hmm. And that is a really scary thing to think about doing. I mean, a lot yeah. of the opposition to doing this is around like, I'm limiting my opportunities. Like if I only focus on this, then I'm getting rid of all these other opportunities to bring money in the door. And, and I understand that fear, oh, but I can tell I you. We all do. <laughs> yeah, but I can tell you and, you, and you know this yourself. Yeah. The more you do that, the, the healthier your business gets financially. Mm-hmm. It sounds counterintuitive, but when you, you know, what you really want is for the right prospect to come to your website, your store, come across your blog or your podcast and go, oh my God, where have you been? <laughs> where have you been? I've been looking for you and your service or your yeah. products for years and I just found it. Hallelujah. How do we get started? Like, well, that's what you want. Yes. And, you know, I like, I like how you referenced it a few minutes ago of like, without, for the owner or entrepreneur not doing this work, you're being lazy. Because I think that's, that's part of our job, right? Is how do we make it as easy for our prospects as possible to yeah. say, yes, like the qualified prospects. And so I think just going back to that kind of an, analogy or reference of laziness, like if we do the work upfront and make it easy for them, it's, it's a win. It becomes easier for us. Yeah. Well, for one thing, if you do this right, you don't get bad prospects anymore because they yeah. look at your website and go, oh no, uh-uh. not if me. she's not going to wear a suit and pantyhose, I'm not interested. <laughs> right. Like whatever it is, yeah. like if you do this right, the wrong people self opt out. Yeah. Which, which is, is the dream. Good. You're That's saving dream. your time and you're saving their time too. Like it's respectful to all parties. Yeah. So I, I love that part of it. You know, I just, I'm just wrapping now a new survey. We started a new annual research study about the challenges that marketing agencies are facing that we're going to be publishing a thought leadership study. And we asked about niche and thought leadership and sort of niche is that like, what is that type focus? What does that look like? Mm -hmm. The biggest challenge that agencies who aren't doing that say that they're having is they can't figure out how to cram all of their current clients and expertise into a niche. And that is the wrong problem. Yeah, I was like, well, um, that's not how it works. That's right. Like, like uh, Michelangelo did not create the David by super gluing pieces of stone <laughs> onto a column. Okay. It's not additive. It's subtractive. Yeah. It's about carving stuff away that doesn't 
serve your organization that isn't work you want to do, that is work that you don't do as well as somebody else can do or whatever. It's about eliminating things and getting down to the real core of what you do that's brilliant, that solves a problem an audience has in a brilliant way and that nobody else can do like you do. Like that's what a niche is. And that's how you get to this concept of an audience that will know you when they see you and love you for what you do. And that is a beautiful thing. I mean, that can really, uh, people are always surprised, but businesses that do this get to the point where they don't have to go find customers anymore because Mm -hmm. customers find them. They Mm -hmm. hear about you. They read about you. They see you speaking they know your reputation and they literally come to you and go, what do, what do we need to get started? Yeah. You know, which is an incredible thing to experience as a business. And I know for a lot of the people listening feels impossible and a long, a long way away. It doesn't have to be, no, it doesn't have to be either of those things, but it does take a little bit of a hold your nose and jump in the deep end. sort of. <laughs> it really does. You got to yeah. go for it. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. The one thing I would add to the precursor to that is just make sure that the problems you're trying to solve, there's somebody that's willing to pay to have those problems solved, right? Exactly. As business owners, I think a hundred percent, I love your approach, but as well, like just adding to that is, you know, if you want to sell cactuses or like what, like what, just, just be clear on the problems you're trying to solve for people. And it's so well, true. And like, it all comes back to understanding that audience. That what will, yeah. That's what will tell you if they have the problem you think they do or not. Yes. Because yeah, otherwise like, you're just listen. guessing. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So instead of guessing and like just hoping that you're building your business on like a really solid guess. Yes. It's like, listen, ask, go out yes. and talk to your people, like learn from them and then listen and don't yes. try, try really hard not to be a selective listener and like, oh yeah, no, they said what I wanted them to say. No, no, no. Right. Listen. Really listen. And here's the other thing. There are plenty of people who may not recognize your solution as what they need. So if you go looking for what kind of software do you need? So I I have a really good friend I've worked with, Chris and Chris and Pam and I masterminded together for like 10 years. And he ran an organization that was a a CRM company, customer relationship management. So, you know, we were poking at each other. I had already grilled Pam on the problem that she was solving. And we'd all had that discussion for the last few meetings. And then I asked Chris what problem his ideal customers had. And he said, you know, he'll laugh at me. Stupidly, they don't have a CRM. That is not the problem. The problem <laughs> that that and this is how we approach things. We're like, oh, you don't have what I sell. You must be my customer. No, the problem is I can't keep my contacts straight from the people I met at that conference. I don't remember whether I ever sent that pro person a proposal. Where are what am I doing with this huge stack of business cards? Like that is the problem that you know and. Unfortunately, in his line of work, if he says you need a CRM, right? People are going to be like, A, I don't know what that is. 
Mm-hmm. And B, if I do know what that is, that's really big companies that need that. I don't need that. Yeah. And so you have to be really careful when you're trying to understand your audience. If you just say, what do you need? Chances are your solution is not going to be listed, right? Nobody types custom attitudinal audience segmentation research into that open field they in don't? the survey. That's no, not like trending rare. on Google right now? It's extremely rare because they just don't know what you do. <laughs> what you, rare. What you <laughs> have to do a search and see how many Google search. Yeah, no, it's not good. It's not good. So <laughs> you, can't, you can't ask them what they need. You have to talk to them about what they're struggling with. Yeah, they're challenging. And then if you can reach someone and say, look, we understand the problem you're having. And actually, we can help with that in a way you might not anticipate or know about, but it's incredibly helpful. So, you know, Pam and I laugh about this, but I tell people, you have to meet people where they are at the problem. And then once they trust you that you really do understand the problem they're having, They will follow you as you walk them to a solution for it. But you can't just be out there going, waving a flag, you know, on the street corner. Hey, who needs a CRM today? Like that is not who needs segmentation research today. Like it doesn't work that way. So you really it does bring about a different perspective. But that audience understanding of a real problem is at the core of it. You know, and you and I feel the same about. Yeah getting insights under this kind of thing. It doesn't mean you need to do a big survey, but you do have to ask questions and talk to people and figure out how they're expressing what they're struggling with. And if you hear something all the time and you keep going, oh man, I could totally fix that. Then you may be onto something. Yeah, that's definitely worth exploring. So to that point, uh, Susan, as you have narrowed in very specifically on this niche, which is amazing, like what led you to that point? You know, like, you know, you talked a little bit about how you got started, but what led you here? Yeah. Uh, carving stuff away. So when we, when I started audience audit, it, as I said, it was basically like, I'd been in marketing for 30, 35 years. I could do a range of stuff across marketing strategy and research. And then the first step was I decided, okay, I don't want to do any of this anymore. <laughs> Well, that's, stuff, that's important to know what you do stuff, and don't want to yeah, do. Like I can do it. I don't really want to do it. And yeah. if I do get asked to do it, it's been a while. So I have to like get the motor running again on that yep. process. Yep. And it's just, I'm like, Ugh. and then it's so there changed. Was, yeah. So there was, I don't want to do that anymore. Those things carve away, carve away. Yeah. No, I don't do that. There was also... <laughs> I don't want to do that for you anymore. Like there was that, I don't want these kinds of clients anymore. So, you know, the big one for me is I've worked in corporate big fortune 100 companies for many years. And I just found it soul sucking. And after I went out on my own, I don't think you're alone in that. <laughs> I, I, you know, and, and they, there are a lot of great benefits to that, but for, for sure. me, it was just not where I should have been. And after I went out on my own, I got a contract from a guy I had worked with in one of those organizations who was now someplace else and was like, come in and help us do blah, 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 blah. And I was like, okay. Right. And I did this contract for like nine months and it meant I had to go into this building and go up the elevator and wonder what floor I was on because they all were filled with beige cubicles. They all looked exactly the same. And I just felt my stomach 
sinking on Sundays, like, the Sunday scary, right? Oh my God. So, so there was the, I don't want to do this kind of work. And there was the, also, I don't want these kinds of clients. And, and then it just continued to narrow. We, we started doing this research, but I would do it for agencies or clients. And then I was like, yeah, I don't want to do it for clients anymore, unless they're through an agency. I only want to work Mm. with agencies. So we just got narrower and narrower. And as you know, you know, my favorite phrase for a long time was, uh, yeah, we don't do that. <laughs> yeah. I and unfortunately, it. I don't get to say it that much anymore because we don't get asked to do things that we don't want to do anymore as a natural sort of result of this process and how we talk about our work. But man, yeah, just like, yeah, we don't do that. Like I'd get somebody who'd be like, hey, we have a bunch of data and we'd like you to, and I'd be like, yeah, we don't do that. Yeah, we don't. Do oh, and my sister, look at this. This was my this was my Christmas present for my sister last year. No, nope. <laughs> it just says nope, and it just sits there on my desk and just says nope. And I think nope is a great tool that most entrepreneurs don't have, and that you need yeah. to develop your nope muscle. You really, really do. You you need to get to the point where you can very quickly be like nope. Cause you can spot them a mile away like that. If you can get there, that's great. Because the next step is you start structuring what you're saying about your business, what you talk about, what your website has on it. And you don't need to say it anymore because the people you would say nope to don't ever call because there's all the information out there to tell them that, yeah, we don't do that. Yeah, and so the opportunity to say that goes away. So yeah, I don't, I don't get to say that much more, but I'm thinking about putting it on a t-shirt just to have people ask me about it. Um, I might just put it on a t-shirt and send it to you. It's yeah. on my to-do list for a little while. I was while. thinking I should just get a bunch for the conference, the build a better agency <laughs> conference and just hand them out. To like how Drew so had his t-shirt yeah. last time yep. about Babette and everything. Yeah. Yep. We, don't, nope, do we that. don't do that. Yeah. So I think that's a really important thing. And it took me a long time to, a long time. I mean, it took me years to get to the point yeah. where I felt really confident about it. And once you get there, like, it's great to be able to say that. Cause what it means is, you know what to say yes to. And it's your business yeah. for Pete's sake. I like know. we forget that sometimes you for, we forget it all the time. Like yeah. everybody I know who worked in four companies and then started their own business we just skip the point where we have this realization about some fundamental things. One of them is it's your business. You can do what you want and yes. not do what you don't want. Yes. Right. And we give away what we're paying so dearly for, which is our flexibility, which is taking the clients we want and not taking the ones we don't want, doing the work we want and not doing what we don't want, working when we want. And not when we don't want structuring our work time and our life around work. You know, we, we, it's so easy to just fall in the pattern of, oh, it's Monday. I got to be at the desk by eight. Yeah. No, you don't. If you I don't know. want to, that's fine. It, it <laughs> is. Know? It's so a hundred percent, a hundred, a million percent, like yes to that, Susan. And I think we are, I, I don't know if it's like, we feel guilty or we have this mentality that we have to always hustle and Truthfully, sometimes that is actually the case. Yeah. But when you get to a certain point, it's like, no, wait, but but what do I really want? Yeah. And I think when, one thing I've been playing around with a lot lately and I, I'm like staking my claim in is 
I think we have to get really clear on defining success for ourselves because I think, yeah, I think it's so easy for us to build whatever business, whatever life, whatever, you know, whatever. We all have this idea of like, what is success? I'm going to do these things. So then I am successful. But what if that's not what makes your heart sing, you know? So, well, I mean, that's why I, that's why I left corporate. Yeah. Was I, I had this realization that I was on a train that wasn't going anywhere I wanted to be. Time to get off. Yeah. So yeah. I did get off. I mean, I, I was just like, uh, I'd had my second kid and I was like, uh, I'm going, I'd like to go part-time. And they la- they're like, <laughs> nobody does that here globally, except for the secretaries. So that's, you know, and I was like, Okay. Oh. See you later. And they were like, wait, 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 wait. And they brought me in to meet the, with the VP who honestly asked me, he said, don't you want to be a vice president here someday? And I couldn't help it. I laughed. It was such a ludicrous concept. I absolutely did not want to ever be a vice president there one day. Well, And what a great, you know, in, in some ways, like what a great gift, like t- for that moment of clarity yeah. to just be like, uh, yeah, no, I don't want that. I, I, yeah, I don't want that. And I think for a lot of us, it happens because something radical changes, like you get laid off and you're like, you have to completely rethink things and build something new because Mm -hmm. you got, you got fired, you got laid off or, Mm -hmm. you know, whatever. And sometimes it just happens because things get so bad that you're like, you just have this moment of realization. But I think it's really powerful to have that experience about the goal. And, you know, our, our mutual friend, Drew McClellan, who, you know, works with agencies all the time. One of the things, the first thing, the, the first step he has in planning for your agency and what you want to be doing and how big you want it to be is to determine your goals. Cause really yeah. our businesses work in service to us. Where they're okay. supposed to. <laughs> that's, Which that's they're supposed to. And, and I will tell you, like, I worked 70, 80 hours a week when I had two young kids when I was working in corporate. And I and I was miserable. I hated it all the time. Now, my kids are grown. I'm an empty nester now. But I work a lot. But yeah. it's my choice. And yeah. it's because I love the work I do and the people I get to do it with. Mm-hmm. And that's a great joy. So yeah. I think that this idea that you're talking about with understanding what is the goal, what does success mean to you is absolutely fundamental because one of the things I talk to people about with respect to audiences, don't pick one you hate. Yes. Like don't set your business up to work with big corporations. If you don't want to wear pantyhose and heels and you don't like filling out RFPs, just don't do it. Right. Yeah. So you can build a business that works for you, but, but you have to think about your goals. And then subsequent to that, you have to think about the problems you love solving and the people you love solving them for. And for Pete's sake, don't set yourself up to serve customers that you don't like. Yeah. That sucks. Yeah. A hundred percent. And I know like for anybody who's looking for that written down, you know, uh, another plug to Pam at the widest net, like the widest net book, such a good book. So good. And, you know, a lot of the concepts that you talk about right here with me right now are also in there in terms of like, you got, and I think a lot of it just comes back to being honest with yourself. Like if we're, if we're taking these risks and being entrepreneurs, which is risky 
on all accounts. Yep. Like it better be worth it. So make it worth it, but it's also your choice. You it know, is so, so your choice. It's yep. your choice. And, and we need to remember that we have choices. So, so Susan, how might you define success for yourself right now at this point, this snapshot in life? Yeah, it's an interesting time. I'm, I turned 58 this week. Um, my husband's 60 and, you know, our kids are grown. And so for me, success now is making sure that we are set up for our retirement. We don't have to place a burden on our kids. Um, for all four of our parents, uh, mine and Ron's, uh, struggle with dementia. So mm. we're like, you know, you just don't know what you got. You don't know what gene you have. You don't know whatever. So, you know, for us, it's about enjoying life while we have it um, and taking time off to go camping and see friends. And, you know, when we go on business trips, we'll take some extra days and hang out with friends and, you know, stuff like that. And making really sure that we're running the business so that we can uh, secure our retirement and not be a burden on the kids. So for us, yeah. that's very clear what our goal is. We have a, you know, we have a very specific timeline, but for somebody in their twenties or thirties, it's going to be different and everybody's sure. different. I have friends who they are building their business so that they can travel all over the world I mean, Ron and I are building our business so that we can take our trailer out of the woods and set up, you know, have a campfire and start drinking <laughs> bourbon. You know, like I think that it's, I think that it's, um, that works. It, it's so individual though, yeah. to your point, but you have to, you have to know why you're doing it. You know, Drew talks about how your agency can get big in terms of people, mm -hmm. you know, and churn a lot of revenue and be a lot of work right? Mm -hmm. To manage all that. Mm -hmm. Or your agency can stay small because you're never going to sell it. That's not your plan. You're going to just use it to set yourself up financially for whatever your, your goals are. And that's going to be it. And it doesn't need to be big to do that. You know, so yeah. there's lots of ways to structure your business. I think sometimes we just fall into this idea of how things are supposed to be. Yes. And the great joy of having your own business is you could tell all of that to just go to hell and do what you <laughs> want. Now, you may or may not be successful. There's no promises. Yeah. But one of the big realizations I had years ago is that there's no promises if you have a regular job either. No. You know, I feel and like I there's even to, more risk. I think we, right. I think we all grew up or a lot of us anyway, feeling like the stable, safe thing to do was go get a career in a sort of a corporate situation. Five, yeah. And I can tell you working with the various companies I did, that was not at all stable or nope. safe. Yeah. Um, there are some different challenges, some different risks that you take on with having a small business, but they're For not sure. necessarily worse or greater. And you than typically the ones you have take so much more ownership of them. You have some control. Yeah. Which I just, I mean, when I left corporate, I was like, look, at least if I fail, I'll be failing on decisions that I've made. Yeah. Instead of dealing with doing things that were based on objectives that were held by who knows who, but not me, Yeah, you know, and, and we're not important. So there are always trade-offs, but I think that, I think that having control, yes, it can be scary but it's also really liberating and it, it, it does give you the opportunity to make the choices that you want. Uh, and, you know, at least if you flub it up, it's your choice. 
that you flubbed up and you learn mm-hmm. from it and you repeat, but at least you're not, you know, for, for Pete's sake, the failure rate on small businesses is really high. Don't fail because you're following somebody else's blueprint for it. That's a yeah. terrible reason to fail. At least fail. I'm great at failing. I really am. <laughs> and it's because I have a lot of experience with it. Yeah. And I've gotten better and better at it over the years. My failures are undoubtedly spectacular most of the time. <laughs> so just get comfortable with it. it. Just keep going. Yeah. But at least, you know, at least you can like beat yourself up and go, yeah, that was a dumb idea. But, you know, it, it it's all in your lap. So don't build it based on what somebody else wants to accomplish or how they think mm-hmm. that should be done. That's Absolutely. a waste of your, that's a waste of your life. It, it is. It is. Um, Susan, as we wrap up here, uh, we've gone through so many great topics. Uh, but one thing I want to just end with is what would you say is your greatest insight or discovery between life and entrepreneurship? It's that we have this artificial construct between work and life. And there's this work-life balance. Mm -hmm. And that construct is artificial. You can enjoy life in your business. You can live life in your business and you can make your business part of your life if you do it right. They don't have to be, I mean- they don't have to be separate. You, you know, just build your business to support how you want to be living your life. And it doesn't mean you're going to get there in a month or a year, but you have all the controls in your hands. Yeah. So uh, for me, it's like, man, life's too short not to make your work part of what you want out of it, really. So I, 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 I blow up the wall between work and life, because I think it can, I think both can serve each other in a really beautiful way. I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. Oh, you're such a joy. We could be here all day, Um, (laughs) but you're a busy lady. I got to let you get on. Um, Oh, it's been so much fun. I always love our conversations. Ah, Susan. Um, (laughs) Hey, if people want to get in touch, reach out, learn more about audience audit, learn more about you and your brilliance, what's the best way to get in touch? Uh, audienceaudit.com is a website and you can always reach me, Susan at audienceaudit.com. I hate Twitter, but I'm also on LinkedIn and Facebook. (laughs) All right. So no Twitter. Got it. All right. Thank you so much, Susan. We'll make sure that that's all shared with everyone. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you, Kylie. It was so much fun. Good luck with the new uh, show. I love it. I love the premise. I'll be listening. Thank you. To continue learning how to better build your business and make your vision a reality, subscribe to the Welcome to Eloma email list at welcometoeloma.com.